0: Thanks for listening to the Pop Culture Cosmos and the PCC Multiverse. Check out more great podcasts today on one of these awesome affiliate networks.
1: Ace Podcast.
2: The ESO Network,
0: your station for all things geek. Classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at
2: esonetwork.com.
0: The Tangibound Network. Check it out. Tangiboundnetwork.com. Listen to this show, the latest episode, every time.
3: A proud member of the Gunna Geek Network. The opinions expressed are those of each individual. Check out all the other geeky podcasts over at GunnaGeekNetwork.com and get ready, because geekiness begins in 3, 2, 1.
0: Today's episode has us talking the future of the Avatar and Terminator franchises, Week 4 in Fantasy Football, Red Dead Redemption 2, and is Tom Cruise's career, A Mission Impossible. All this, plus more great barbecuing grilling tips as we once again delve into... Mmm... chicken. The PCC
1: Multiverse. Don't be alarmed. The quasi-shimmering light before you is a trans-dimensional gateway to other worlds, other voices, other thoughts, and other realities. Up feels like down, and down feels like the number seven on a Wednesday morning. Don't worry, that quivering, blood-boiling sensation under your eyebrows is all a part of the charm. Welcome to the PCC Multiverse.
0: And we're back with another episode of the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop culture cosmos and game source we truly appreciate you being part of the broadcast here today and i'll tell you what it's another awesome weekend lined up as far as in the entertainment world and who better to help me cover it and to bookend it very nice and sweet as always is my good friend he's the man amid the, the legend he is the king of kings when it comes to humanica media is josh peterson how are you my friend
4: Good, man. You know, I got ego problems. As soon as you say those things, it's just I'm barely fitting in my hat now, right? <laughs> yeah, how can you
0: know, you're gonna have to walk sideways as you go out through the room?
4: I know. It's it just it's just it, get, it gets so big. And then all I just need to do is insult myself and just goes back down to size. So it helps me out.
0: Or your dog will just like look at you just like, yeah, right, whatever. And we got a great show here today. We've got Rob McCallum, director of Nintendo Quest. He's coming by to talk about James Cameron and all of the great stuff he's overseeing. And also he's directing coming up in the near future. Plus, we're also going to talk, Josh and I, about Red Dead Redemption 2. A story trailer just came out and we, now we've got a little bit of more pieces to the puzzle. But it's not quite enough for my taste and I'm not sure if it's quite enough for Josh's either. But we're going to find that out at the end of the show. And then also we've got Ben Arno. From the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast, talking some barbecue. Mm, I'm getting hungry already. Mm, 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 mm. And then our good friend Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pay Dirt podcast is going to preview week four in the NFL for fantasy owners. But Josh, it's another great weekend in the Movie Land area. We've got Kingsman still poised to be sitting probably at number one. It's going to eke out a win most likely. At least that's what most projections are over it who's doing so well and holding over so strongly in its fourth weekend already. I want to ask you, Josh, there's also another movie that's coming out with not so much hype, but with a movie star that's attached that's used to a lot of hype. What's going on with the career of Tom Cruise as this weekend, America Made hits theaters?
4: Yeah, I, I think that people are getting burnt out on Tom Cruise. He's he has a lot of goodwill with the people, and I think he like with these. Bi- he's doing all these big franchises, and he's just not a pe- really appealing to anybody. He's doing he's a, a I don't know what you call. I don't want to say he's selling out, but like he's kind of selling out for these big franchise films. You have the Mummy, you have Mission Impossible, you have what else was he in? Like even like Jack Reacher, which is the, the second Jack Reacher movie was okay, but he's had a lot of flops, and I know that does affect actors pretty badly if you just look at taylor kitsch after john carter of mars a battleship and battleship and now he's finally back in a movie but his name is not even in the uh in american assassin the
0: promo work for it, but yeah they cut him out any chance to get and then the, the american fireman story i forget what that's called that's coming up very soon he's in that as well but he's like his name is far farther down the list so he's still trying to earn his stripes once again i i agree with you more but go ahead so with with this new movie, America, it looks entertaining. It looks okay. Like,
4: I think um, – Stormhall Gleason of Star from, Wars. From Star Wars. Yeah, yeah okay. So that's what I was, I was wondering about. But, yeah, the movie looks okay. It looks like it might be funny, but I don't think it's going to be something that people are going to be rushing to the movies to watch, especially after the bad publicity it got with Tom Cruise, uh, you know – in that airplane situation a while back. Uh,
0: exactly, and there was deaths involved and whatnot. In fact, there's actually a lawsuit most likely pending because of it. So that, yeah, that's never a great sign for a movie indeed. And I'll tell you what, it's just not, not a great sign at all for the movie as far as hopes for any uh, situation. You think it's also like in the case of Dwayne Johnson where his selections as well is now hurting his film career as far as the choices that he's making maybe hurting his... Projected future earnings with films that he's starring in. Okay, so
4: with The Rock, I noticed because I watched Baywatch, this movie, terrible movie, absolute train wreck. I think that there's a confusion as to what genre some of these actors belong in. Like The Rock is funny, he does some funny stuff, but he doesn't belong in movies that you can't take seriously because I think, and that's the problem there. So I don't know if like Tom Cruise, he's naturally just been an action guy, like he's usually in. Those type of movies, but it's if he's he's reaching the point where he's he's the market is oversaturated with Tom Cruise, and ever since they announced that he was starring in the Dark Universe role, and he's going to be a more prominent thing, I, it's there. It's a very real chance that people are getting burnt out on him, and you know at this point he it seems like he might be taking on a little bit of the uh, Johnny Depp syndrome, taking parts just for a paycheck.
0: I agree with you on that, and I'll tell you what. It's truly you know, kind of sad to see, but you know you see that every now and then with actors that were once famous—Schwarzenegger, Stallone. It's very hard and difficult for them to carry their own movies anymore. That at a premium, you know they'll still do uh, video on demand or, or lower echelon films that they'll star in that they may be able to carry and, and you know, bring some some revenue in. But unless unless they're working together in like an Expendables format or something else, they're now relegated to being part of somebody else's films. We'll have to wait and see all these icons of film lore over the past two, three decades. Are they being replaced by other actors? We'll have to wait and see. But at least right now, you know, it's good while we have them still out there. Harrison Ford is still, you know, kicking some major butts. So there's still one actor still getting prime roles and, and doing the most out of them. So it looks good right now for at least Harrison Ford, but for many others that were once A-listers, it's uh, time maybe they take a look at reevaluate the things that they're doing as far as the choices that they're making and the movie roles that they're taking on. What are your thoughts on these A-listers from the past, like Stallone, like Schwarzenegger, like Tom Cruise, Will Smith as well? Not always try to be the star in these films. It, it, are they better suited to playing co-starring and supporting roles at this point in their careers? In fact, Tom Cruise's best performance uh, in, in a while was Tropic Thunder. Got to check that one out. That was just me. Uh, share us your thoughts. PopCultureCosmos at Yahoo.com. Also as well, PopCultureCosmos, GameSource, and Humanican Media on Facebook and Twitter as well. And as we got another packed episode, but at first, we've always got, for the PCC Multiverse, Plasma Z. This is Duskwalker, and this is the PCC Multiverse.
1: listening to the pop culture cosmos don't touch that dial wait do, do people still use dials check out what's been going on
0: with the pop culture cosmos show and the pcc
1: multiverse i would say rogue one has a more worn feel and i love it for that because it looks a lot like new hope where everything isn't shiny and plastic like the star trek films
0: we always talk about timelines and the franchises that we love now it's kind of like, okay, now we're going to do a Han story. Now we're going to do Obi-Wan story.
4: People do still like to go into movies and watch things that are different, watch things that are not related
2: to superhero franchises. With him, you might get the Russell Westbrook thing. Kevin Durant leaves and he goes, I'm not going anywhere. This is my team. So I'm lead up it for the long haul
0: if
3: you're into like very strategic style games and the co-op games in general it's a highly recommended game
1: overall i to the sense of depth and personality that would escalate fighting games to a higher degree that's the pop culture cosmo show
4: and the pcc multiverse every week on the podcast radio
0: network and apple podcasts and over a dozen of your favorite streaming and podcasting options And we're back with another wonderful edition of the Cosmic Crossfire, because it cannot be called Pop Talk. Oh, God. <laughs> you knew I was going to get that in there. I thought you were going to
1: go, oh, the Pop Culture Cosmos, it's the Cosmic Crossfire. <laughs> no, no.
0: Cosmic Crossfire will be right
1: there. That's why I put a theme Is, it too hit? is Cosmic Crossfire too hit for us? Is, is that the deal? Is yes. that too edgy? Is that like too like new metal-ish? Sounds like
0: it. Sounds like it indeed. But once again, it's Gerald Glasser from Pop Culture, Cosmos, and Game Source. I'm here along with my good friend. He is the director of Nintendo Quest, Missing Mom, and so many other documentaries, including Kitty, Box Art, The Power of Grayskull, He-Man documentary, and so much more. And then also as well, he works with Tiny Titan Studios. For nine ninety nine, you can I get on You were Steam.
1: gonna say I work for nine ninety nine a month? No, no, no,
0: <laughs> not, not for nine ninety nine. That's that's a little bit above your, your pay grade, my friend. No. Oh, oh, oh okay, okay. Uh, no, just easy, just easy. For nine ninety nine on Steam, you can get the awesome game Tiny Rails. Plus, also Tiny Rails is free to play, and Dash Quest is free to play on mobile as well. He is the man. The myth, the legend. It's Rob McCallum, who is actually, should be paid more than $9.99 a month.
1: (laughs) Well, that's that's nice. I I don't know that I'll be hiring you anytime soon as my agent, just in case those wires get crossed. But nice to be back, and I want to give a shout-out to everybody at Digital Dreams Entertainment as well. I've been working with them more recently, and they just launched Mutant Football League and uh, Early Access on Steam. Truly great indeed to have you back on the cosmic
0: crossfire so have at it my friend what's on your mind when it comes to the world of pop culture
1: well this week like uh, the last four or five weeks there's there's been a, a big question as, as a through line and i thought i would really surface it and make it explicit this week and that's really looking at the value of something so and that's not always monetary sometimes it's the qualitative value that impact that hits us uh, and what it does to resonate in the topics that i have kind of got really go back and forth around the pop culture spectrum avatar 2 begins filming avatar 2 avatar 3 avatar 4 avatar 5 what is the value of this franchise gerald and when will will we be excited about it
0: avatar 6 avatar 7 i don't know how many avatars I'll tell you what I know. It's I think it's at least four. The next four will be it's it started production this week, but it's for the next four. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, they're shooting four concurrently. They're basically shooting it like an ongoing mini series where they're covering different scenes from all across all of them at the same time. And once it's done, each film will cost over a billion dollars to make. Unbelievable! And so that's that's four billion dollars is is
0: the price tag on this without marketing to me that's insane because really when you come started down to it this is for a movie which as you and i have spoken about in the past has not left that cultural footprint with the fan base at all it's just when it comes up now on fx it's just another movie i mean it's nice that it's a disney ride at disney world but it's going to end up just being another ride once star wars lands come out to hedge your bets on something that, okay, people will go to the Avatar 2 as a curiosity to see where it ends up, but is no longer the technological marvel at this point in time that it once was when it came out in, what, 2008, I believe, correct?
1: Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, well, late 2008, early 2009 because the theatrical run was so long. Here's my prediction for it, okay? You remember how cool The Matrix was when it came out in 99? It was a really big film, and I think The Matrix still sticks with people today as one of those landmark experiences. There's a lot of technological stuff going on there. So it you does can for see me. The parallels. You can see the parallels, but the storytelling was really top-notch in that film too because it was really taking a look at that online-offline presence, which was just starting to come of age at the same time for people. I think you will see the Avatar franchise follow the unfortunate path of The Matrix franchise where two and three... Did not live up to the first in any way. Yeah, and they tried to fill the gaps with stuff like the Animatrix, and they tried to put video games in there like Enter the Matrix. And no matter what they tried to do for that awesome potential that they created with the first film, they could never meet that mark again. And this is a film that worked on a story level that did resonate, that also had the technological kind of staying power and prowess avatar's got the tech stuff on its side of its time and presumably given james cameron's love of technology and his investments there will be some really cool technology stuff that we'll see in this one but will the storytelling which is what matters most impact us he's essentially trying to make star wars but his version of it and hedging his bets by putting four new films out there so that people can get involved in that story I know
0: he's going to have new people introduced in the films and whatnot, Cliff Curtis, among others. But if you don't still have Stephen Lang, who has been talked about reprising his role in a major way, chewing up the scenery like he did in the original Avatar, which was the only reason I enjoyed Avatar at all, was because of his performance.
1: Oh, I thought Sigourney Weaver was pretty great.
0: Uh, but I didn't think she was enough in there to really make an impact. I think Stephen Lang just was, you, you, you just chew up every scene with his evil character that just loved, you know, wreaking havoc. And just his performance to me made that entire film. I understand that he is going to be revived or he's going to live in some form or fashion within the next framework of the next film. And if that's the case, It could be something that helps make for a better story and a better narrative overall than the first Avatar, which when we really break it down is really not that outstanding because I think people got seduced by all the the colors and the animation and all that stuff. So they were willing to forgive some story elements. I I don't think that will work the same time around, but we'll
1: have to wait and see. Who knows what myths or allegories or tales that he wants to do for the second third fourth and fifth installments and how well they weave together there's nothing wrong with his essential pocahontas tale that is avatar one which we've seen not only in pocahontas but many other other stories it's it's classic for a reason what other tales are we going to go into so as a writer i'm really curious about what he wants to do and he's a talented writer and then what does that also mean for the terminator franchise that's just what i was going to say okay go ahead hit me with it
0: well he spoke of reviving the terminator series and actually getting it back within his realm so he's obviously while he's dealing with the avatar series he's going to be overseeing not directing because that's going to be given to tim miller of deadpool but working back on a feature-length james cameron endorsed version of the terminator series where it's going to bypass the junk fest known as terminator genesis and deal straight with a new uh, additional segment with obviously arnold schwarzenegger back at the helm as a terminator whatever version but also as well he has announced that linda hamilton will reprise her role so you're seeing how her character matures over a period of time and where that leads the entire situation. So I ask you, Rob, are you excited or are you interested intrigued in intrigue as far as this possible journey for the Terminator franchise or are you just done with it after the, again, like I said, the junk fest of Terminator Genesis and actually the Terminator movies prior to that, Terminator 3 and also Terminator Salvation were. Exactly I like I like
1: Salvation. I've only seen Terminator Three once, and I didn't hate it, but it didn't feel the same to me. But I did like Salvation for its taken setting of being set in like the Cybertronian kind of wars. You it's know? the
0: one. It's the one that made the most money of those three.
1: And I haven't seen Genesis, despite its availability on Netflix and all these other <laughs> Park and Pin streaming channels. Um, I, what I like that intrigues me the most is hearing Cameron talk about. The importance of showing a female hero in her 50s or 60s still kicking ass and and having that female icon, which is interesting because Cameron came under fire for essentially attacking Patty Jenkins and and Wonder Woman and saying that Wonder Woman is essentially everything that is wrong with male-centric Hollywood, where basically you have a pretty woman who has to fight and make sure that she still always remains beautiful no matter what in order to draw the attention and the gaze of the audience. So I think it's really interesting that he's criticizing Wonder Woman for all the accolades that it has and the money that it made at the same time coming back and saying, no, we should be allowed to celebrate women heroes that are older, that can still kick ass. And he's not afraid to, you know, have a a lead character that is outside that 30 to 40 year old kind of realm as, as a leading person. And I think that's why Disney got scared of having Mark Hamill be the main actor for Episode 7, 8, 9. They felt they needed younger actors to fit that four-quadrant demographic of men and women below and above age 25. But it but, also serves as Star Wars continuing that saga well beyond Episode 9. That's fine. But if, if this is the, the Skywalker saga, make the stories about them, not about these other characters. Introduce them for sure, but do not tell the story from their perspective. I maintain that from Episode 7, and I will maintain that going forward. I think it's a perspective mistake that Disney has made. I would likely get me fired from directing anything with them, but that's just my perspective.
0: All right, my friend. And then once again, that is director Rob McCallum of Missing Mom, Nintendo Quest, and so many other projects: Kitty, The Power of Grayskull, The He-Man Documentary, also as well box art the documentary and so many others and possibly even a puppet documentary as well and then don't forget tiny titan studios which he is a part of they have dash quest and also as well tiny rails available right now for free on mobile tiny rails is also easy to get 9.99 on steam if you don't want to do any paywalls or anything like that it's all right
1: there for you as well
0: And you guys are always uploading dlc all the time correct with new content
1: yeah, there's a major Steam update that's going out very soon that introduces South America content and a whole new train station building mechanic and uh, requires you to buy rail to go from station to station and pick up the right kind of cargo and drop it off before you can, can build the stations. It's already rolled out on mobile. There's a lot of cool stuff going on in, in Tiny Rails these days, whether you want to play the, the free-to-play version on mobile or, like you said, take down all the ads, all the pay watching, all the pinch points, no timers. And play the Steam version, kind of completely unlocked, access all the train cars. Don't wait for those random drops.
0: Like I said, just $10, the same amount of salary that Rob gets each and every
1: month. Each month. You buy one copy of that, I get to work for another month.
0: There you go. <laughs> all right, once again, that's director Rob McCallum. Rob, as always, we truly appreciate you being part of the Cosmic Crossfire. The Cosmic Croissant. Truly appreciated being part
1: of the pop culture cosmos. Rob McCallum Films is back in 2017 with a vengeance. This year, we're set to release Power of Grayskull, the definitive history of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which chronicles the ultimate 80s billion-dollar franchise, Masters of the Universe. See exclusive interviews and hear untold stories from the people responsible for creating the world of Eternia, a place full of magic and science, and learn about the craft of creating action figures and animation. Power of Grayskull drops this year and is just one of our many projects at Rob McCallum Films.
0: And we're back with the program. This is Gerald Glassford from. From Pop Culture, Cosmos, and Game Source, we truly appreciate you coming back and listening to us. Oh my goodness, I'll tell you what, it's a great pleasure to have the host of the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast, which you can find on Libsyn, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast.fm, and Player.fm, and also as well, the great blog, SmokingHotConfessions.com, it is Ben Arnaud. Ben, it's just great to have you here on the show, all the way from Queensland, Australia.
5: It's great to be here.
0: It's great to have you on the show as well, talking some awesome food, awesome barbecuing. And we're talking to an award-winning barbecue grill master. You finished first with chicken. So what are some of the things that people need to understand when they're grilling and barbecuing a good chicken. So, because obviously I'm talking to the right man when it comes to a barbecue chicken.
5: Are you talking for competitions or are you talking for like backyard?
0: Both. What are some of the steps that you take that uh, obviously not giving away any trade secrets, mind you, but when you're in competition as far as that, what are some of the steps that you take as far as when you prepare the chicken to, to the time when it, it's almost ready to be, be you know, tried by the judges and whatnot?
5: First of all, it all starts with um, with having a good butcher uh, who knows what they're doing when they're preparing the pieces of chicken for you. I always recommend going to a traditional butcher shop over, say, a supermarket, just because you you get to build that relationship with the butcher, and you can say, hey, look, can you cut this a little bit more that way, a little bit less that way, and they'll, they'll be happy to do that for you. So I actually work with Pure Meats Robina here on the Gold Coast, get everything from them for my backyard, for my competitions, the whole lot. And I will actually, uh, for usually for competitions. So this competition just passed. I did things a little bit differently. Usually for competitions, I'd, I'll I'll do either a cupcake chicken or a lollipop chicken. So the cupcake is a chicken thigh, which is uh, smoked and cooked in a muffin pan. So the actual piece of chicken comes out shaped like a muffin top.
0: Very interesting.
5: And the, the lollipop chicken is a drumstick with the uh, the little knob cut off the end and then the meat and the skin push down. You uh, smoke that up and they end up using the bone as a handle and the meat just ends up like a little ball on the end, uh, just like a lollipop. So I usually do things like that. And uh, my butcher will actually do a lot of the actual, the preparation of that for me as he's breaking down the bird. And uh, for this competition just passed, we went um, a little bit of a different way and we did breasts and wings. So we got away from the red meat altogether and we went with the white meat. go and visit other people is they um they put a really sugar heavy sauce on the chicken and then try and grill it. And then they can't work out why it tastes sort of bitter and black.
0: And that's what I wanted to uh-huh. ask because you had mentioned that you're sugar heavy and I thought that's that's probably the outcome you're gonna get, correct?
5: It is if you're grilling. So in competition barbecue you're doing low and slow. So you're you're not cooking directly on top of the flame most of the cooking is done in in either a vertical or an offset. So you've either got a foot or two of space between your fire and your flame, or it's offset. So the fire's in a separate box, and the heat travels across horizontally into the cooking chamber, the heat and the smoke. And so you're able to cook at a much lower temperature, which while it takes longer to cook, you end up with a much juicier, tender cut of meat, and things like the sugar in the spice rub, the sugar doesn't burn. So when you see people and they, they get like a real high sugar marinade or something on a chicken and they throw it straight onto a hot grill, they get that bitter burnt flavor. It's not the actual chicken itself. It's the sugars in the marinades that are burnt in the, in the super high heat. So depending on, on how you're cooking it, you need to sort of adjust your, your marinades and your rubs accordingly as well.
0: Definitely some good information. Once again, we're with Ben Arno. He is the host of the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. You can get it right now on Libsyn, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Player.fm, Overcast.fm, and also check out his amazing site. Like I said, don't do it if you're hungry smokinghotconfessions.com because you will get even hungrier, rest assured, because there are some great recipes and great things I saw on that site. My goodness, uh, in preparation for this interview that I had to go eat after that. Let's just put it that way. Um, (laughs) But I want to ask, obviously you are a premier and very high level competition barbecue and grill master. But I know out and about in in the world that's out there, you often get a chance to interact with individuals that that just cook at home and grill at home. And sometimes I see you, I probably say, hey, maybe you're not going about this the the best way, or maybe there's some things you might want to change up. What are some of the things that usually you see that maybe people do in their, their preparation or the ingredients they use when they're cooking or grilling that you see that maybe could be some tweaks that they could fix to make their food even better.
5: If you're going to grill, try and stay clear of uh, of, of high sugar content, um, marinades and rubs. But you know, th- there's all sorts of different things. We're experiencing a bit of a culture shift here in Australia. And if we were cooking outside, it was always charcoal and wood. I remember growing up as a kid and my dad would actually set me to go run around the yard and go find all the sticks I could find in the yard. And he'd, uh, he'd pile them up between a couple of bricks that he'd, that he'd uh, sit out on the yard, throw a sheet of steel across it, and we'd cook up some, uh, just uh, grill up some food on top of that. Of course, we had Webers had come aboard, come aboard, sorry, come into Australia. And uh, that sort of changed the scene there. And then something happened in the, in the late 80s, early 90s. I can't really put my finger on it, but everybody went, gas
0: yeah propane, I will tell you in America, is truly popular to the general consumer that's grilling out there. I mean, when we have access to either whether it's our own grill or we're going to a public park or something like that, grill via gas, bring it via the the you know the canister and all that, it seems to be the preferential way that that a lot of people have tendency to grill their meat.
5: I think that the reason that that a lot of people went gas was basically because it was so much quicker to get the heat. But now it's, you know, it's, it's 20, 30 years later, you know, everything that's old is new again, as they say, and the, uh, the the culture around barbecue has shifted, and with that, we've got a lot more technology that we didn't have back then. So for 10 bucks now, you can go to the hardware store, and you can buy something called a charcoal chimney, and you set some fire lighters on your grill, you fill the charcoal chimney full of charcoal, light the fire lighters, sit the chimney on top of the fire lighters, and... Uh, through the way that it controls the air it forces the air over the flames up through the charcoal and you've got lit charcoal ready to grill in 15 minutes which is you know that's as long as it takes to get a uh, to get a propane grill all all hot and ready
0: yeah so, absolutely uh, that that's very very interesting because that could change the way people look because even though propane like i said is currently more popular Still, the best way to get flavor, obviously, from what you're inferring, and and what I know from my experience as well, through obviously, is through charcoal and wood.
5: Absolutely, yeah. That that is where I was going with that. Yeah, I'm just a bit long winded today.
0: <laughs> no, no problem at all. Believe me, I, we want as much description as you can give because, like I said, there are a lot of people out there that are interested in how they can cook a better barbecue, even if it's not competition level per se. But they still want to know from the best that are out there how they can get their barbecue at home a lot better. And that's just obviously the best way that they could do it. And if they can, like you say, go and have easier access at the local hardware store or whatnot to create that environment that they can utilize wood and charcoal more often in their grilling, obviously that's a step in the right direction. But when it comes to maybe sauces and rubs or or things that people should try and go into, aside from obviously, like you said, once with a high sugar content. Are there any things that you suggest maybe they should try the next time they go out grilling?
5: My biggest tip would be to go to sea salt flakes and uh, hit that steak two inches thick with some sea salt flakes and some fresh cracked black pepper, as opposed to the ground pepper in the shakers. It's going to give you a real nice texture along the surface of the meat. and then I would recommend that you give a reverse sear a go. So you'll have, you know, if we're talking gas, then you'll have burners one and two on, but you put the meat over three and four. And so three and four are off, one and two are on, you close the lid, the meat starts to cook in the indirect style. And so after, now this is going to come down to how hot your barbecue gets and the thickness of your steak, but roughly sort of 45 minutes to an hour-ish If you haven't got a meat thermometer, make sure you get one so you can check it. You're looking for about about 140, 135, 140 Fahrenheit. You want to get the other side of the barbecue screaming hot. So if if you're on charcoal, you want to actually put that steak on a plate and just gently tent it in aluminium foil to give it a rest without losing too much heat while you leave the lid off the Weber or whatever and let the charcoal get all hot and angry again. And when that's screaming hot... Put your steak on for about a minute or two on either side, get that real sound, and let it sit there, sizzle, 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 directly grilling it. And what you'll get is you'll get beautiful, medium rare, sort of pink, juicy steak meat on the inside, and a really delicious seared crust on the outside, which is going to have fantastic texture. Oh,
0: that's awesome. Like you said, from sea salt flakes and black pepper to make a great steak using those elements and combining those ingredients will definitely and also the technique involved in regards to making sure that you used the one and two burners different from the three and four burners and make sure that that you utilize them correctly in order to make that steak just oh my gosh just so awesome indeed i almost feel like getting some some steak right now and potatoes and whatnot to get that started right now this this instant but I'll tell you what, uh, it's truly, truly uh, great to have you on it. Any last advice you would give anyone out there as far as cooking or whatnot? And then obviously, again, I want you to tell everyone out there why they need to listen to the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast.
5: Okay, I guess my my last tip is um, just to really get out there and just give it a go and cook what you like. Don't worry about getting too experimental. There's a hundred different recipes in each cookbook, and we've all got 15 cookbooks. Find something that you like and nail that. Get that right, and then start branching out into things more complicated. Otherwise, you're going to get overwhelmed. If you bite off more than you can chew the first time, odds are you're not going to go back and try it again. If you're not a big fan of chicken, don't set chicken as being your grill goal. If you're a steak guy or a steak gal, hit that reverse sear up that I was talking about before. Go back to basics, salt and pepper, reverse sear, then build on that from there. Once you've got that technique down, then build it up from there. Um, As for the podcast, as to why listen, I'm actually about to start recording season two next week, and I'm going to be uh, interviewing 15 people from Australia and America who have taken their passion for barbecue and built that into a business. And so we're going to be talking to them about their story, about how they got where they did, tips and techniques that they might have for other people who are looking to get into the barbecue business and uh, yeah, taking it from there.
0: Once again, that's the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. It is now available, season one is available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Player.fm, Overcast.fm and Libsyn and well, season two is coming right up and I'll tell you what. Uh, Definitely uh, be some great listening while we're uh, cooking and grilling. Some great ingredients indeed. And also as well, if you really want an extensive look at competition barbecuing, breaking down the different components, the different facets that you might need to know about or want to know about, including some great recipes to check out, you want to check out smokinghotconfessions.com. It's a great read and it's also some great articles in there and great blogs from you on how to become a better grill master. Well, Ben, it's been truly a pleasure having you on the show uh, and I just cannot thank you enough. And I'll tell you what, as soon as uh, a major grilling time comes around, I definitely want you to come back on the podcast to, to tell us again exactly the best ways to build that better barbecue.
5: Anytime, my friend. I've had a great time, and I really appreciate you uh, having me on board.
0: Thank you very much. Appreciate it. And we're so glad to have you on the PCC Multiverse.
3: Hey, Kevin. Hey,
0: Cornflake.
3: So we host the Flopcast. We cover nerd and geek subjects of all types, but this is sort of a sillier, goofier side of geekdom, I'd say. We love to talk about music, especially funny music. We talk about comic books, conventions.
2: Saturday morning cartoons.
3: Oh, yeah. I'd say if you're going to put the Flopcast in Brady Bunch terms, we're like the Cousin Oliver of podcasting. (laughs) And we do a ridiculous new Flopcast episode every week.
2: What is wrong with us? We
3: really have nothing else to do. (laughs) We're part of the Earth Station One Podcast Network.
2: And you can find us at Flopcast.net.
0: And we're back with the show. This is Gerald Glassford from Pop Culture, Cosmos, and Game Source. It's week four in the NFL. Fantasy football owners are just scrambling for what they can do at this point in time of the season. If you're already a uh, leg behind, let's put it that way, in your league or even those who are looking to scan the waiver wire or just, you know, just trying to see if they can go ahead and even get better with some trades. And who better to break week four down with me? For fantasy owners, then my good friend, he is Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. It's great to talk to you as always, my friend. All right. Always great indeed to have you on the show. And again, we've got a lot of great matchups in the NFL to look forward to. But for fantasy owners, what should they be keying on first when it comes to all the action going on in the NFL this weekend?
2: Well, there are some teams that are banged up. And, of course, Friday's injury report will tell us much more about that. But right now the Tampa Bay Buccaneers uh, are missing quite a few starters on defense. They have the 0-3 New York Giants. Uh, now the Giants have always been kind of the beat-the-odds team. And they still have some really good talent. and And if the Giants can put it all together, they can be very dangerous. This could be the game where the Giants – look like the New York Giants, the New York football Giants against a Tampa Bay defense that is pretty banged up. So that's going to be an interesting game to watch. Uh, There's quite a few of them. Uh, Remember last week when um, Jacksonville and Baltimore went to London, and it was a really weird game. Well, this week we have Miami and New Orleans going to London, and that should be very interesting. The New Orleans Saints are 1-2. and They are desperate for a win, and Miami is really licking its wounds after a pretty bad defeat last week. And I have Jay Ajay. Is Uh Is he still good to have on the roster at this point in time as far as starting for you and playing a running back or a flex? Sure. Uh, now, last week, he he did not put up numbers at all. Uh, but he's had an entire week of rest. He practiced in full today. And when a guy like him with an injury like that practices in full, that's a really good sign. So I think you can uh, run him out there and against that New Orleans defense. Man, I think I could get 100 yards against that New Orleans defense.
0: Maybe uh, I could too, but I probably need your your help uh, trying to drag me along. But uh, I'll, I'll be your fullback. There you go. There you go. Lead, lead the, you know. Give me that lead blocker. All I right, got
2: you, buddy. You. I got you. Fair
0: enough. Fair enough. I want to ask real quick before we go ahead and break down everything else. There's a couple of wide receivers that are out there that one has found early season success until last week, and one found no early season success. Until last week. That means J.J. Nelson and also as well, Sammy Watkins. They seem to have like a kind of a differentiating fortunes there. One going in one direction and the other one going in another. If you had to choose, like I do, (laughs) what player would you target? And what player do you think might be sitting on a bench this weekend? Because both are just questionable at this point in time.
2: Totally different situations. Uh, J.J. Nelson has been with that team for a couple of years. Uh, Sammy Watkins just got to Los Angeles. And what you saw last week is you saw a little bit of a connection happening there. Uh, Now, with J.J. Nelson, he, in my opinion, is a relevant fantasy factor when John Brown is not playing. And even when John Brown is not playing, uh, Jaron Brown actually gets a a larger target share than – JJ Nelson does, but they are all both far behind Larry Fitzgerald. Now with John Brown practicing this week, he's only practicing in a limited fashion and he has a sickle cell trait. So his body doesn't repair normally. So it might be throughout the season that John Brown will play a game a couple weeks, but when he's in, he has JJ Nelson's speed, but with much better ability to track the football much better ability to make tough catches. Now with Sammy Watkins, uh, Sammy Watkins this week, you just saw this little bit of chemistry last week, and they are going to take that momentum and they are going to go into Dallas. Now Dallas secondary is really banged up. They've got a rookie starting on one side and I don't know if Skantrick's going to play this week or not. I think he made it halfway through the game last week. So if there's one uh, secondary this week that I want to pick on, it's Dallas's. So if I had to choose between J.J. Nelson and Sammy Watkins, it would be Sammy Watkins, and I don't think it would be close. And that's not just chasing last week's stat line. That's seeing some chemistry finally, finally developing and going against that secondary. I would definitely play Sammy Watkins over, over J.J. Nelson.
0: that's some great advice indeed. Once again, that's Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast. You can get it every Tuesday and Saturday available now on Apple Podcasts and also as well, Libsyn, Overcast.fm and Player.fm. And you've also got a major announcement to tell everybody out there about a brand new site, which you finally got up and running, which has a lot of great info coming very soon.
2: Oh, I'm so excited. So my buddies at Robel Technologies... They helped me get the website together, and now ffpaydirt.com is a thing. It's a real thing. You can go to it, and uh, I will be posting articles. Now, it right now it's a little bare. I have relevant articles, uh, and th- and those are just going to build. I don't get. I try not to get super wordy with it, and even my podcasts have gotten a little long in the recent podcasts. I'm going to trim that down because I realize people just don't have a lot of time. So uh, my articles are usually straight to the point. If I have something kind of wordy, I'll do that too when I have time. Uh, But the articles are basically going to consist of strategies for the week and waiver articles and injury articles. So those will be up uh, this week's part Part of the strategies that I had for this week was one, start looking at your bye weeks because they're going to be coming up pretty soon and start making moves that you might need to uh, compensate for that and also i had a a sell high buy low sheet and that's where i have an advantage over maybe some of the other football analysts that i watch every single game and if and if you're just looking at the stat lines you're going to miss something but if you're watching every game or if you got a guy like me who can watch every game you can get some really relevant information to help you better manage your, your fantasy football team
0: That's awesome indeed. Check that out again, ffpater.com, Fantasy Football Pater Podcast group on Facebook, and of course, the Fantasy Football Pater Podcast, now available every Tuesday and Saturday, but you can listen to it anytime on Apple Podcasts, Libsyn, (laughs) Overcast.fm, and Player.fm. Tyler, it's been great talking to you again as we preview week four in the NFL, and hope you'll be back Sunday as we recap a great weekend in the NFL.
2: I really can't wait. And it's already week four. It's like, it's like a quarter of the way through. How did this happen?
0: It goes uh, by all too fast for football It
2: really fans. does. But it's so great sharing this season with you. I'm, I'm so excited to be on your program. Thank you very much for having me.
0: As always, it's a great pleasure having you on and being part of the PCC Multiverse.
2: If you're tired of sifting
1: through flea markets for rare and unique games, we can help. Retro City Games in Henderson, Nevada, only 5 minutes from the Las Vegas Strip, has all your favorite gaming staples, classics, and a wide selection of rare games with new stuff always appearing on our shelves. Come in and chat with Nicole or Doug about your love of games and watch as they help you complete your collection or find your childhood favorite. And don't forget, Retro City Games loves trade-ins. So if you have any Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega, Xbox, PlayStation, or even PC games, come in and visit Retro City Games today. Welcome to the new metropolis of gaming, Retro City Games.
0: And we're back with the PCC Multiverse. My name is Gerald Glassford from Pop, Culture, Cosmos, and Game Source. We truly appreciate it. You being part of the broadcast here today as we close out the show. But since we're on the podcast radio network, I got to tell you, the number one show on the network is the Pop Culture Cosmos show. You check it out every Monday night, 10.30 p.m. Eastern, 7.30 p.m. Pacific. And also as well, my good friend, the man, the myth, the legend, Josh Peterson. He has a show called Attack of the Humanicans that's on Tuesdays. 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific on the Podcast Radio Network as well. And if you miss any one of the Pop Culture Cosmo shows, check out the Pop Culture Cosmo channel anytime at your convenience. If you're not hearing it already on the download, you can check it out on any one of these great networks, including Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, the Ace Podcast Network, Overcast.fm, Player.fm, Google Play, Stitcher, Podcast.com, Mixed Cloud, the ESO Network, the Tangentbound Network, the Gunnageet Network, Cast Crunch, social podcasts, and of course our home site where we've got a lot of great articles as well popculturecosmos.wordpress.com. And speaking of Humanica Media, there's a lot of great stuff going on there. So, Josh, what's coming up in the next week at the great site known as Humanica Media?
4: Ah, uh, new inside sports. <laughs> That's really. Uh, right now, you can check out What About This. The latest episode was put up on Monday. Uh, Attack the You Mannequin, which was or uh, will probably be What About This again. We also have a an interview that uh, this Brian from the Super BS cast got to do with the guys from Asymmetric involving their game. It's called West of Loathing. It's really good, so you should check that out. It's up on our Facebook page and our iTunes. And, you know, as always, thanks for listening.
0: So I'll tell you what, it's, uh, you know, a lot of great stuff coming down the pike. That's great indeed. And you check out all the humanity Media places on, of course, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Podbean, Podcast.com, and Apple Podcasts. So before we head on out, we just wanted to thank Rob McCallum, also, as well, Ben Arno from the Smoking Hot Confessions podcast. Our good friend Tyler Baker from the Fantasy Football Pater podcast. Just want to thank all of them for being a part of the podcast here today. But, Josh, I know you got a chance to check out the latest trailer for Red Dead Redemption 2. And you and I have a couple of bones to pick with Rockstar when it comes to the actual game itself and the trailer that's shown. It looks beautiful. Let's get this out of the way. It looks absolutely gorgeous and stunning. It's really a step up from even GTA 5. I cannot wait to go and explore that open world. It's going to be an awesome time indeed. But there are some uh, bones that we want to pick on there, but I'll, I'll let you go first. Josh, what kind of issues do you have with Red Dead Redemption 2 after the trailer that just came out?
4: Okay yeah you're right the game looks stunning it, the the tra- or at least the trailer did my issue is I I hate how uh, video game developers they when they can't think of a story to a way to move their story forward they want to go backwards and it just makes the entire you know last game that you played feel like a waste of time yeah it's it's cool to have um, you know, Extra materials to show you how the characters got to where they're going, but maybe do it through a comic book or a novel. But I just, I'm not, when I heard that it was a prequel, I just did not get excited about it, especially since they called it Red Dead Redemption 2 and not uh, Red Dead Redemption, you know, the before story or whatever. I just, I can't, I can't get excited about something like that because I don't, there's, it's like backwards character development. I don't. I don't know what to expect from this game. I hope that it has the massive, uh, you know, the multiplayer aspects that the first one had. But I just. I don't know how I feel about going backwards in the main character story as opposed to going forward. Because I was hoping for some more, uh, you know, some more of that, or maybe a something further down the line uh, in in the timeline. But I just. I'm. That's my problem is that it's a prequel. I don't know how I feel about that.
0: Well, I was hoping that they would expand the story of John Martiston's son because, spoilers, John Martiston doesn't exactly finish all the way but through re- the original Red Dead Redemption. But his son uh, finishes off what his his father was, was trying to complete. So I, I would have loved to have seen his story. And maybe his story will be told at some point in time down the road but with Red Dead Redemption 2 it actually goes into the past about what 2034 uh, not let's say 20 30 years in the past dealing with uh, an actual new character Arthur Morgan and uh, he's part of the same gang that John Marston was actually a part of at one time as well and that's the Vanderlyn gang and yeah and the and we all know if you've played again spoilers played red dead redemption you know that the leader of the vandalin gang he actually uh, comes to his own demise as well in the the original games but just i guess it from what i'm seeing that you interact with him at some point in time during red dead redemption 2 as a much younger individual so that's how you're you know one of the ways you're able to ascertain it it's a prequel so i guess that's the way that Rockstar wants to go. And usually it's hard to argue against Rockstar because their vision, what ultimately gets gets out there, is usually so well done. The only thing I have more to it is, okay, give us a release date. Come on, don't tell me spring 2018 anymore. I'm tired of it. I want to know exact release date. It's about that time you should be able to just spill the beans and go at it. Otherwise, I have a strong feeling that it may be uh, delayed. But again, if that's the case. You know, if you're you're gonna be like maybe says it's gonna be another May release and whatnot for you, all right, I'll give it to you. That that's technically that's still spring, but I would like to see an actual release date to get things even more rolling into shape. You know, I would love to see that finally come to fruition because it can't be far off from being almost all completed, but I definitely want to see the game as well. It looks absolutely gorgeous. I, I actually don't mind the prequel side of it as much as you do because I don't hold on to that grips of the story uh, of the original Red Dead Redemption. I thought it was great. I played through it and I had a good time, but I, I, really, it really didn't stay with me as much as I guess it sounds like it stayed with you. I would have loved liked to have seen uh, John Marson's son his story are continue in Red Dead Redemption 2 but unfortunately we're not going to be able to get it so any last thoughts on RDR 2 and maybe what you're hoping for since you know it's it's not a it's going to be a prequel I'm sorry but is these are could there be some elements that would maybe kind of make it look better in your eyes
4: a co-op aspect would be fun um I because I really enjoyed the last one how you could play with your buddies and you go all go around and to participate in the ambushes and team up and stuff. But
0: yeah. There I'm are just, bank, robbers, bank robberies and train robberies. So I'm assuming based off of the experience we saw with GTA on, on, um, in multiplayer that you're going to be able to pull a lot of heists off.
4: Yeah, I'd like to see some story co-op though. I think that that would be fun. Like even if it's just your, like the, the Borderlands type co-op where you could be playing your game and someone else can jump into it and play along in the story with you or vice versa. I think that would be cool.
0: I agree with you, because to go out in a full campaign with someone else, that would be a really neat thing to add on to, and I would look forward to to having that, because that would be something different within the rock star realm, and I kind of would, would think that would be a nice little addition to whatever it is they're doing with, with such an expansive world. What are your thoughts on Red Dead Redemption 2, now that a little peek of the story is now available for everyone to see and view? Share us your thoughts, popculturecosmos at yahoo.com. Also as well, popculturecosmos, Humanican Media, and GameSource on Facebook and Twitter as well. Well, Josh, it's been another great show we've had here today. What are your thoughts on the way out? Anything you're looking forward to doing this weekend?
4: Um, no. <laughs> I, I Blade Runner next weekend for sure, but... Yeah, this weekend, I'm hope, I'm really hoping to sit down and finish uh, Final Fantasy XII, the Zodiac Age. That is the longest game I have ever played, and I want to stop playing it, but my OCD will not let me stop until I get to the end of it. So I'm really hoping that I can finish that this weekend.
0: Well, the challenge has been laid down indeed, and for me, uh, I am so excited. That was me clapping in the background, by the way. I just cannot wait for, as well, you could tell from the last episode of our Pop culture Cosmos, you can tell that I'm so excited for Blade Runner 2049. The advanced reviews that they're hinting out there are, are pretty good. So I'm, I'm definitely excited to see what the end realm is it's going to be take place. And I just can't wait for Blade Runner 2049. Oh, it's another week. We have to wait, but just around the corner, and we'll definitely share our thoughts on Blade Runner 2049. As it nears next week, we will devote a good portion of it and in following that as well to to, You know recap exactly how well it's doing at the box office and how well it's doing with you fans out there So for Josh Peterson This is Gerald Glassford It's another beautiful day in paradise here in the P C C multiverse We thank you for listening and here's hoping You have yourself a great day.
2: This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network, your station for all things geek, classic, current, and beyond. Be part of the crew at ESOnetwork.com.
6: Tangent Bound Network. Let your voice be heard. TangentBoundNetwork.com. Thanks so much for downloading the Pop Culture Cosmos as a special treat. We're adding a bonus episode, which starts right now. So sit back and relax as you enjoy more awesome goodness from the Pop Culture Cosmos family.
5: And stay tuned as more great podcasts are on the way. Thanks again for listening to us here at the Pop Culture Cosmos.
1: Super Super. Super.
7: B.S. presents... Welcome back to another special episode of Super BS Presents. Brian here. Today I had the opportunity to chat with Zach Johnson and Kevin Simmons from Asymmetric about their game, West of Loathing. We got to talk about that, how they got into development, about their older game, Kingdom of Loathing, and about the Nintendo Switch. I hope you enjoy. Check out their game, West of Loathing, on Steam, and email us at superbscast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. I'm here with, who am I talking to, my friends?
6: Uh, Zach Johnson and Kevin Simmons. And I'm the creative director of uh, Asymmetric, uh, and we just made West of Loathing.
7: Yeah. I'm Hell. a producer
6: and designer.
7: Hell yeah, you guys did. That's an amazing game. Well, I thank you guys for being on here, and I just want to talk to you a little bit about the game. How long have you guys been uh, working in the games industry for? Uh,
6: so in 2003, I made uh, this weird sort of web browser MMORPG. Um, with very much the same sort of uh, sensibilities as as West of Loathing, called Kingdom of Loathing, um, set in set in the same universe, uh, and I don't know, I wh- when did you come on? You came on in two thousand four, yeah. Uh, so yeah, like. A long time. A, Whoa, weir- a weirdly wow. long so time. So
3: here's here's a question. Do you, would you consider that part of the games industry? I, know, well, I certainly wouldn't have at the time. Because yeah, I, would, I would yeah. almost argue that we joined the games industry two months ago when we released <laughs> West of Loathing. Uh, with West of Loathing? <laughs> yeah, because I, no, yeah. I feel like everything up to that point has been sort of... Uh, you're outside so- the mainstream. Yeah, you're in not. A lot of ways. I know
6: you're not supposed to refer to yourself as outsider art, but I think that you can refer to something you made 15 years ago as outsider art, and I think that's that's kind of <laughs> where we were for a really long time. Because we were we were in Phoenix, and there wasn't really th- there's a little bit of a of a sort of game development scene there now, but there definitely wasn't in 2003. Or well, at least we, we weren't sort part of, of it. Never really talked to anyone else yeah. who was doing anything. So yeah, well, so, yeah, I mean, we've had a, you know, we've had a little a of things- bit of a weird arc as a studio.
7: Yeah, but Kingdom of Loathing is huge. Like, I definitely wouldn't consider it, I mean, not like huge, huge, you know, it's no RuneScape in terms of, like, web-based <laughs> games, but it's it's definitely not something that you can, like, scoff at. You guys have a pretty decent-sized player base, so... Oh,
6: yeah, yeah, and, and you know, we we... It made enough money to sustain you know, six to ten full-time employees for the entire time since since 2003. Like, it, wow. it, we definitely, like, understood that we, you know, we had real jobs. Yeah. It was always just, it was always a little bit surprising whenever we would go to some games event and anyone had heard of it. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, really? I, I mean, I, I follow so, game news, so maybe it's different for me. Yeah. Um, we, just didn't, you know, we just didn't talk to a lot of other people. We, the, the main problem was mostly isolation, not not the sort of absence of legitimacy.
3: Yeah. That, yeah. That, that, the, the notion of industry, the notion of a games industry, to me, implies that you are part of a larger collective in a way that we did not feel like we were until very recently
6: and part of that was just over the last couple of years like just making an effort to meet more people and go to more things and there's there's a kind of a there's a little bit of a network effect like you you go to GDC the first time and you don't know anyone and it sucks and then you go to GDC the next time and because you've met one person they introduce you to 10 other people and then suddenly suddenly you're part of a gang
3: yeah did you guys get a chance to go to GDC this year I saw you guys were at PAX We've we've been sort of because we're based in San Francisco now we sort of hang around uh, the periphery of GDC it's it's expensive to get a pass so we don't tend to go to the actual conference or show anything at the conference but we're because we're here we like get to get the sort of all the benefits of being in San Francisco during GDC without having to shell out the dough
7: okay you don't it's it sounds like it's fairly expensive then to uh, go there as a game developer
3: a <laughs> uh, pass is like two thousand dollars wow okay and that's uh, with yeah. hopefully
6: booth space and stuff no No, that's just no just to to attend is like two thousand dollars it's it's one of those things where a lot of people don't you know it's it's sort of like flying business class like a lot of people the employer pays for it and so it's just priced like
3: that speakers get in free and like sponsors get badges and stuff there's definitely a bunch of ways to get there for less money um but if you're not sort of doing anything as part of the show you you just end up having to pay the full price and it's it's rough
7: yeah, I mean, well, with everything in San Francisco, I can only imagine that adds up quite a bit. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, what made you guys decide? I'm I'm jumping ahead a little bit on some of the stuff I want to ask, but because of Kingdom of Loathing, we talked about that and its stick figure drawing. What made you guys decide to go with that
6: aesthetic for like both Kingdom and West of Loathing? For Kingdom of Loathing, uh, in in the beginning, it was just me working on it, so it had to like everything just had to be done however I could do it because it wasn't making any money, so I couldn't hire anybody else, and I and I didn't. Uh, I kind of didn't want to have to. I, I had worked on various little like web game projects and stuff, but nothing ever got off the ground. And so I, I decided, all right, I want to make something that I can do all of it myself in a week and actually put something out there and see if anybody cares about it. So it's like written just as well as I could write, and it's drawn just as well as I can draw, and you know, coded just as well as I can code, and it's system administrated Just that was actually <laughs> my job, so I was okay at like getting a website on the internet. Uh, so. I, I was in a sort of an IT like database programming background. Oh, that's awesome though. Um
7: and when when did you jump on Kevin?
3: Uh I so <laughs> I uh the game had been around for about a year uh and I came on as a player and spent about a month sort of pl- plumbing the depths of the game and then got to where the the game sort of just stopped. It kind of ended in a cliffhanger because it wasn't finished. And I then spent another month or so just trying to break it. So I would like try to do PHP exploits and that kind of thing. And then I would send these like long detailed bug reports in and never hear anything back until uh, eventually I found zach's phone number on the internet because he hadn't made his who is information private and somebody else who was not me was nice. uh hacking the game in a more serious way so i called him and said hey you might want to log in and fix this and oh. then somehow we, be- we became friends after that so it turned into what would have been otherwise a really creepy uh incident uh turned out to be just fine <laughs> that's sorry. Kind
7: of, that's pretty awesome
3: um yeah it's it's a weird I, like i've never interviewed for a job so that's i guess that's the closest thing that that I've ever well, done you did kind of interview, interview when you found a person to hack the code and then get you the
7: phone number Exactly. <laughs> to all this other stuff. Uh, real quick, uh, just because I love technical stuff, what did you code it in originally, Zach? Uh,
6: it was all, uh, I guess, basic LAMP stack. Uh, so it was like PHP on the front end, uh, MySQL database backend uh, running on Apache on... Uh, originally like shared Linux hosting back in the day when that was still a thing oh wow so you didn't uh, it even... was it was before the days of before the days of like Squarespace and and sort of like like large consolidated domain hosting companies
7: so the game is done outside of like uh, contemporary languages like C++ and Java
6: uh, yeah, King- King- Kingdom of Loathing is entirely PHP and MySQL. Th- that said, so is Facebook. They don't like to talk about that, yeah. but uh-huh. it's absolutely a thing that you can make a robust and scalable web app in. That's um, crazy.
7: I just assumed almost all games, I-, I do a little programming myself, I assumed all games were done in like contemporary
6: languages. I didn't think that there was that many things done, just PHP. It, it, Kingdom of Loathing is way more of a web page than it is a video game in uh... that regard. <laughs> so it's, um, you know. I don't know, man. It's it's pretty awesome. So, what,
7: like, recently you guys have had tons of crazy positive press with West of Loathing. Has that, like, affected,
3: like, your guys' day-to-day life, your studios? Uh, so like our, our egos? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, well, now so that are gods among men. <laughs> we uh, we did not expect the game to do as well as it did. We In fact, we were sort of preparing for it to come out, not sell a bunch, and then f- we were going to have to figure out what to do. Um, and the fact that it has done so well has been great, but we... We sort of told ourselves before it came out that we were not going to fundamentally change anything, even if it sold really, really well um, or got tons of great press or whatever, because we want to not sort of now that we have sort of a bit of a comfortable sort of um, runway, I guess you'd call it. We don't want to screw that up. And so we're just going to kind of try to keep making stuff that we like and uh, at the same pace that we are happy with. Like we're not I don't I don't think it has changed our culture a
6: ton. At all. It's only been it's only been like five weeks. That's also so true. So I've ordered a lot of Porsches that haven't showed up yet. So okay. who knows when, when they get here? You, it might. Uh, you did buy a Vive. <laughs> I did. After, I did buy a. I did buy a Vive. That was the one. Uh, I mean, that's like extravagance. Equal to two
3: Porsches, pretty much nowadays.
6: You know, <laughs> sure, eight
3: hundred dollars <right. laughs> plus a twelve hundred dollars. Well,
6: um, you can pretend
3: that you're driving a Porsche, and that's that's pretty good.
6: Uh, Kingdom that's, of Loathing was was doing okay financially, but not great. I mean, it's a fifteen year old MMO, right? So yeah. everything you know, Ultima Online still sustaining a staff of a few people, but not as many as it did five, 10, and especially 15 years ago. Um, And so with this was kind of a, well, how this game does kind of determines what the future looks like. Do we like shrink the company down to just a couple of people or just me and like keep doing KOL? Or do we keep the band together and keep making new games? And uh, luckily we get to keep the band together and keep making new games.
7: That's awesome. So since you guys, it seems like you're friends with some of the developers and, uh, press and journalists and other people in San Francisco, I, I mean, I'd heard about you guys on idle thumbs. That's how I found you. Um, are you mm. friends with those people?
6: Yeah. Uh, we had sort of met them right before, uh, uh, so we moved to San Francisco like four years ago and it was right around the time that idle thumbs did their Kickstarter. And I met them at that GDC. And then right after that, they, uh, When uh, when Sean and Jake had left Telltale and were forming Campo Santo and uh, needing office space, they uh, they sort of approached us because they knew that we had just moved to town and they figured, oh, well, maybe we could both get a nicer office than we would normally be able to afford if we pooled resources. And so we just kind of got in, got in that way and then have just kind of, you know, been more or less co-workers with them for For the entire development of Firewatch and and then the entire development of West of Loathing all all took place after after we moved into the office together. Yeah,
7: that's awesome. I mean, that's just a cool thing of like making friends in the industry and it working out. Um, So we have talked about Kingdom of Loathing a little bit, but what inspired you guys to make West of Loathing instead of just go way off the deep end and do something totally different?
6: Well, we did, we had gone way off the deep end and done something totally different a few years ago and it just didn't work out that well. Uh, we made a game called Word Realms that um, we we learned we learned a lot about how not to make uh, video games. There are definitely some <laughs> there are definitely some cool things about it and it's not like fundamentally a flawed idea, but we our first attempt to like make a kind of a modern, a more modern game didn't work out so well and we were like, "Well, let's make a new game that sort of sticks to our core competencies." Uh, one where we don't have to, like, adjust the writing style and one where we don't have to ad- adjust the art style and one that just lets us, you know, kind of build content basically the same way that we've been building it for Kingdom of Loathing for a really long time, uh, which which allowed us to make a game that is very, very large with relatively little manpower and in a pretty short amount of
3: time. Our, yeah, our, our tools for making KOL are a bunch of sort of... Uh portals that like scripts that sort of spit out php and and that kind of thing and so our tools for making west of loathing are a bunch of web pages that spit out xml basically and the the json it's it's json yeah it's uh... yeah so we
6: we we do all of the we do all of the uh, (laughs) all of the content development in just like an internal web app because that's also just our like the ko the guy that i hired to do the the majority of the programming for kol now is just really good at that stuff and so it was like all right let's you you know how we like to work make us an editor for this thing and it's just poof it's done and uh not to not to diminish the work that he does it, t- it took well, some time but but it's just uh, uh, i think the reason that we decided to make another loathing game was very specifically so that we could like make a modern thing while sticking to what we knew we were good at
7: no and it's excellent i mean it's hilarious like that that leads me to this like wh- where do you guys come up with all the jokes do you just sit around like thinking of funny jokes and try to make the game based on that
6: yeah our our brainstorming meetings are are typically like our our goal is usually to make the other people laugh and like typically if we have like some design or narrative problem that we're trying to solve the solution presents itself when we arrive at something that we all think is pretty funny so i don't know it just kind of happens that way i i I don't think we could make a serious game if we tried
7: well i mean it's It's enjoyable that way. There's not a lot of very funny games. And from what I played West Loathing, it's hilarious. I haven't got very far. I'm not a big computer or PC gamer, which we'll talk about that in a couple minutes. I got something to ask you guys about. But, um, yeah, what I did play on Steam,
6: I loved. Um, Who did your music for the game? Uh, Ryan Icke. Uh, who is a, a composer who's... He's, he's working on a bunch of stuff yeah. that hasn't quite come out yet. He's doing the music for Where the Water Tastes Like Wine. And he did... I, uh, we, we met him at some random game industry event in san francisco and i knew that he had done a song or two for uh tom francis's game gunpoint that came out a few years ago uh and so you know we knew all right there's a guy we know who likes kingdom of loathing we know he's a good composer we know he's easy to work with so we just approached him and he was he was real excited to to come on board and he's a really funny guy
3: he also did some work with uh with frog fractions too oh right right oh wow oh that's awesome yeah he's he's really great um it's been it's been kind of a joy working with him off topic, you guys
7: design. meant. Oh, sound! He also did your sound design.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, excellent! So he just
7: didn't just do the music. He okay.
2: Wow, Correct. he did a lot, yeah. a lot of stuff. Yeah,
3: he was he was basically involved very early in the process. We we started getting music into the game very early, and then um, we we probably waited a little too long on the sound design. But like he was he was because he had been part of the project the whole time. It was not like a a super
6: foreign thing to him. Uh, coming in, so he, and he's mostly known as a composer, but he has done a bunch of sound design work for games before, yeah. and was happy to. And he, you know, he, he was also excited to sort of learn how to learn how to use our tools we, because we all of our engine stuff is kind of homebrew. We don't have any of the middleware that companies usually like use to whatever. sort of yeah or wys like the things that the things that companies use to facilitate sound designers and composers being able to get stuff into the game. So he kind of had to learn enough of our scripting language to wire sounds up to things, and and he was just he was excited to do it and was awesome at it.
7: That's amazing. Off topic a little bit. You guys mentioned Gunpoint. Did you get a chance to play the new game from uh Tom Francis? I want to say it's yeah.
6: Heat Signature. Heat Signature. Is, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think Kevin and I have both been been on the playtest branch of that for, a for while. like a year a year or so now and it's yeah, it's real good. It's super cool. super fun. Yeah. It's Another Tom, game Tom's that I, a, Tom's a smart guy <laughs> makes is, good games. <laughs> is he up there in San Francisco with you guys? No, he he lives in Bath because uh, he he started oh, out in I, I think in Bath, England. I, he I don't know if he was originally from there, but Bath is weirdly where a lot of the English games press is, and Tom started out as a writer for for PC Gamer. Um, oh, and, excellent! Uh, and sw- switched from journalism to dev, basically to make Gunpoint. Yeah, that and then I mean, kept like a a really good sort of like developer log which I think was
3: relatively uncommon at the time and sort of had a had a big he had a big following there which I think was one of the reasons that Gunpoint came out with to such a a wide audience um I mean besides the fact that it's a great game but like it got a lot more a lot more sort of press cuz he was so open about how he was developing it. Yeah, I I I've heard
7: nothing but great things about it. Um so when did you guys start making West of Loathing? That's something I forgot to ask because I just I'm curious. It came out uh, this year in August,
6: and it was greenlit 2016, right? Yeah. Yeah, I think it was. Development was well underway by the time we did the greenlight campaign. Um, so it, essentially, everyone who was involved in the project came on full time in June of 2015. Oh wow! So it was we, we had done. We had done a year ish of kind of screwing around with prototypes and and concepts and trying to like sort of lay out where some of the content was gonna look like what it was gonna look like. um, For like a year before that.
3: The back end tools and we did we did sort of a a dry run with a, a Unity
6: programmer to just test out whether it was even whether it would look like yeah. anything, yeah, we, we, we didn't share. know if it was going to be even remotely possible to get my art into like a 3D diorama and have it not look terrible. And okay. so that that we we had some early like proof of concept stuff happening, but yeah, but full the like full scale development was basically two years and two months, I guess. Yeah. So oh, we, we
3: probably spent. That's not bad at all, no, time wise. No, we spent about a about a year making sort of the first hour of the game, and then another year making the rest of the game yeah yeah that's so
7: no, that's really I mean most games nowadays I feel like especially for small teams can take anywhere from two to four years I want to say Tacoma took three or four years yeah um yeah and Campo Santo I don't know how long they worked on Firewatch but I know that took quite a bit it was of time too just
6: about two years I think it was remarkably fast for a game of its scope and quality yeah. um
7: yeah, but your game West of Loathing is
6: like forty hours, so two years is uh, not bad <laughs> well, but, for that. Sure, much but time. look at it. You know, it's <laughs> uh, it doesn't uh, adding and adding a new area. I mean, I, I do all of the art just with a pen and paper, and then scan it and uh, and edit it into the game. And so it's it's like relatively easy for us to, you know, if if they had decided they wanted to add a whole new type, like a, a chapter of Firewatch that yeah. took place in a jungle instead of a forest, would have been you know another two, year. two years of work yeah. for them whereas for me it's like oh if i draw three new trees then suddenly we can have a scene that's in a jungle yeah the, the
3: sean from Campo Santo was a little jealous of how how fast our our development pipeline is compared to theirs so
7: well they just need to get a full-time hat designer like you guys have too <laughs> that's, that's true <laughs> yeah we do so have it, more hats
6: than them by by a, by a lot <laughs>
7: that's the most important thing in games if you've seen dota and all the hats that is the number one thing you gotta do monetize the hats guys that's the best mm. part um do you guys have any short-term goals or long-term goals for West of Loathing before you guys move on to something else?
3: Yeah. We, uh, we actually just spent uh, four days up in Portland uh, plotting out the first piece of, like, significant DLC that we're okay. going to make, that we're going to release before the end of the year. Uh, we've already started working on that. Um, and then we are also sort of simultaneously uh, working on porting the game to other platforms. I like um, that we're starting with ios uh, and see how it does on mobile and then we will look at console stuff um so and then also we're gonna do so we've also got the game right now is only available on steam but hopefully in the near future it will also be available on places like gog and itch.io
7: oh, okay cool i so. imagine itch.io is pretty easy to submit to i talked to some guys who made games up on that and yeah it seems like-
6: yeah, I think that one that one doesn't actually consist of much. And as soon, as soon as we we've we're we're talking to the people at GOG, and as soon as we can like kind of figure out what that pipeline looks like, and then we'll have we'll have a better idea of what what it means to be like making th- all of these different branches after yeah. every patch to to put into all the different stores. Um, so
3: that's the proliferation of platforms becomes a, a lot more of a headache for the the Unity programmer that we've been working with. Um, oh, so okay. we just want to make sure that 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 that's like. Something that he's okay with and and on board for and that kind of thing. So,
7: so is the game being made in Unity then? Because I thought it was being made in. Oh, okay. I thought so. The
6: the yeah, it's it's basically a Unity engine that runs like we when we're building rooms and things, we don't do that in Unity. It's a Unity engine that reads in our data and like plots out the scenes and and handles everything. But all all of our stuff, all of the game logic is done in the scripting language that we made up for initially for KOL. so that the writers could do like interactive conversation stuff without me having to write code for it, but which has since grown into this monstrosity that handles pretty much everything that happens gameplay wise um you know the 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 unity the unity part is what like you know make sure that things that are supposed to display in front of other things do and like handle animations and And stuff like that but but all of all of the the writing and the and the the interactions between objects and stuff is all done in a in a kind of homebrew scripting language
3: and we we are you have an internal argument about what the homebrew scripting language
6: is called we can't decide the engine yeah the engine is either uh the the programmer is pushing for swole swole uh, standard standard west of loathing engine yeah uh, and we were referring to it as wolverine for a long time but we couldn't figure out what the arene stood for yeah, or the sounds v- awesome. well it's yeah. the interactive
3: yeah. na- interactive narrative
6: engine okay right I- it starts with west of loathing and ends with interactive narrative engine but yeah. we're not sure what the, <laughs> the, the very narrative.
3: extensible uh rad is, yeah. is, is my, was my yeah. vr v- pitch so. it's
6: but it's cumbersome i think it's i think it's gonna be swole
7: <laughs> swole <laughs> nice. you on swole yet um mm. Now, I you guys have already somehow managed to tackle into one of like the biggest markets ever right now. I want to say I read Steam is releasing something like 2000 games a week <sighs> yeah. or a month or something like that. How it's are you guys going to, you know, plumb the depths of iOS, which is like a dying decaying like amalgamation of every single game
6: ever? I mean, your game will our, be our really main well stra- our main strategy is keeping our expectations really low yeah. <laughs> like <laughs> because
3: <laughs> we're we're doing it in part because uh that's what pe- people have asked us for like we wow. we want to provide the game on platforms that people have have asked for um if
6: if it if we can um, i'll ask against them that you guys <laughs> release on
3: switch instead
6: <laughs> well we're, we're definitely not, we not instead we're like, definitely doing we, we we met with nintendo at pax and have like, we've started the ball be... rolling on getting all that set up yeah. yeah so so we're um yeah like i i can't say with like a thousand percent certainty that the switch port is going to happen but we're definitely planning on doing it and working towards it yeah like we, um, we haven't we haven't built a we haven't built on their dev platform yet but that's the that's the plan we're all like dudes in our early 40s so the idea of having a game that we made on a nintendo platform is very exciting oh guys. yeah
7: and it, it's uh, so. do you guys happen to own switches by chance we, we, yeah.
3: we all, uh, none of us did before we visited the Nintendo headquarters, but then we all spent a yeah, bunch we of money. <laughs> they might not
6: even want us to port West of Loathing to Switch. It might have just been a ploy to uh, get us to spend a
3: bunch of money at, this money company at the company store. Employee store. Yeah. I don't think they're trying to do that because they're selling <laughs> things
7: like, <laughs> like fire, man. I mean, it's it's yeah. insane. Uh, did do you guys, I don't want to delve
3: too off topic, but did you guys get a chance to play any games? Have you, like... Breath did, of the Wild. Oh, I, 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 after I got so back good. from PAX, I basically disappeared into Breath of Wild for four or five days and just didn't do anything else it was it's such a good game it's amazing what about you zach
7: do you get a chance to play anything on it
6: yeah i was playing i played a bunch of uh steam world dig 2 It's amazing yeah. i've been yeah. playing that recently it's
7: real good
3: yeah. just got that last night actually
7: no oh, it's um, it is great and that's why i want your guys game to be on it because there's a chance <laughs> i'll actually finish a game like if it's on right? PS4, xbox i'll get to it but i normally don't yeah. finish it the Switch a is a perfect
3: bit. is a perfect uh, platform for us. Like so we, right now we don't have controller support, so that's like our next sort of technical thing that we're working towards. Yeah. Um and we'll have that, you know, we'll add that to the PC, but then that will allow us to move over to the Switch and the Switch works with the touchscreen, which is a really good way to play the game, and then we'll also be able to do controller stuff and so like it, I think it'll be a very uh, natural feeling
6: setup. We've had the game running on iPads for basically the entire time because we are the demo that we have for the game at shows is really long. Yeah, uh, and so like if people get if people want to get into it, they can play for like a half hour, forty five minutes. And so wow. we have to, we tried to really like maximize the number of stations that we had for people to play at. And getting it running on iPads was a way to get a lot more people into the booth. Yeah, we could just hand people the game. an iPad and, so and let them play. And then that that's one of the that's one of the reasons that we're the the iOS port is kind of the first thing out is because a lot of that work is already done. Yeah,
7: yeah, and that's I mean iOS is a great market and this type of game would work perfectly. I think, you know, games were point and click where you can also play as an RPG. Excellent, you know, uh, crossover, but please if you do make it on Switch, please don't make it touchscreen only. Please let it be different. Oh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah, we, no,
6: yeah, we would uh, that that I feel like would be the I mean not like ridiculous. a kiss of death, but it would be real dumb yeah. to to limit it like that. I don't, I don't know. It, are there are there games that release like
7: there that? There are five or six now and there's a game called severed do you guys know of a company called Drinkbox? they made a game called guacamelee I, oh yeah
6: i have uh i played severed on my ipad I yeah think. i've heard the, that's like, the, like, the best place the, to like, play it grid dungeon crawler with like kind of uh what was that uh, etrian odyssey or uh like yeah but I'm, I'm thinking things. about the i'm thinking about the combat what were those there were those phone Infinity games Blade? Infinity Blade, Infinity Blade yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. That was exactly it, yeah. Yeah, it's. I liked Infinity
7: Blade a lot because you know the iPad was new and I picked it up. But uh, that's the thing that stopped me from purchasing Severed. Actually, was I wanted to be able to play it on my screen and and with the controllers being able to use um, gyroscopic. I, I was hoping that they'd be able to you know use the IR sensors and I'd be able to play it on my TV because mm. that's kind of the thing. Um, it's it looks like an amazing game. I loved Guacamelee, but yeah, they they made it touch screen or they made it portable only portable mode. So you have to use the touch screen. Mm. So for me, that's, that's that is like a kiss of death for a lot of people. I'm sure tons of people still buy it because
3: a lot of people just play the Switch as a portable console. But um, I, I have really enjoyed being able to just pop it into the the base station and just, just like go back and forth between portable and and on the TV.
6: It's it's like it's just ideal. Yeah, it's the so, Pro so Controller good. feels yeah. it's just so much more comfortable yeah. to yeah. to use than the than the Joy Cons too that it's yeah yeah the pro it's, controller
7: is amazing it should have been boxed with the system but i mean that's a whole nother argument for another day because that's like an 80 dollar controller yeah but, but it's, it's yeah a, it's amazing man it's it's a it's a really great concept and console and i think your game would find a lot of traction there it's just i'm hoping you guys can get there before the deluge of things start flowing
3: because yeah i mean it, we're not we're gonna miss the first wave obviously yeah. um and then the, the trick is whether like if, if Nintendo is willing to sort of just help sort of promote it a little bit, I think that would make yeah. a big difference for us. It's the same thing with iOS. If, if, if yeah. we can get even just a little bit of featuring from Apple, that would help so much in actually sort of making it worthwhile. Um, so, but that's a
6: real crapshoot. We have like no, have no control over what they decide to,
3: to pick up, that kind of thing.
6: I do think that this is a weird advantage of the art style in, in some ways, I hope, which is that when you're flipping through the store page on a console... Like shop, yeah. nothing else is going to look like this. So it will at least be eye catching. Like whether whether you then look into whether it's a good game or not, or, or are willing to buy it based on that is another question, I guess. But well, the, the consoles also, I mean, f- selling it on iOS, we're probably just going to have to make it cheaper because no yeah. one will pay ten or eleven bucks for a game on iOS. But it, on yeah. consoles, they will, so we can have price parity there.
7: Yeah, it's. Uh, I think that's a super important thing that you touched on. Is is making it look like even even just the title for the eShop. That's a very important thing. You can tell when a game like I want to say it's like 1 2 3 4 something like that some weird like card game is made that looks like somebody put it together in minutes and got put on the store versus like something where it's like uh Steamworld Dig 2 or something where you can tell there's like love and attention put into something.
6: I think yeah, that... it's like a dis- a distinctive real style, yeah. Yes.
7: Yeah. I I think that's super important, and I think that's what you guys have been going for this whole time. I think that's half the reason why your game is, you know, getting out there in the wave of other stuff. I mean, two thousand games a week or a month, and somehow like your <laughs> game is one of the very few I've heard of.
6: Yeah. yeah, we we were very fortunate to have had the the sort of like decade plus of Kingdom of Loathing people kind of still listening to us. Yeah, you know, we we had a pretty sizable mailing list, and you know, we're we're able to like. You know, just tweet like, hey, guys, it'd be really, really great if you came and bought our new game so that maybe we'd maybe we'd get on the Steam charts so a bunch of other people can see it, and then we just sort of managed to, to, you know, have that happen. We happened
3: to release in a week where there wasn't a lot of other new stuff coming out and there weren't any major sales, so we got to stay sort of in the Steam top 10 for a long time um, in, in that sort of rotation of games and their little banner. And then we also got incredibly lucky and Markiplier did a bunch of videos of our game which i think probably brought another 10 couple tens of thousands of people to wow. sort of look at and buy the game so yeah. Well,
7: i want to respect your guys time but i have a couple more questions real quick before we go. Sure. Um yeah, go for it. What what have you like what's your favorite game that you've played recently? Like i know you mentioned Breath of the Wild but i'm just curious like what have you guys played in the last month? I know you've you've been making games so you don't have a lot of time. But have you played anything in the last couple of months that you thought, oh man, that is just amazing is really good? Well,
3: really so I'm Zach. Hate, hated the game compared to me, but I uh, I played Metroid: Samus Returns oh, and wow. have really been digging that a lot. It's it, it's it, for me it is very much sort of reminding me of the original Metroid uh, that I played in my youth and re- sort of recapturing that nostalgia a, a big in a big way. So also another Nintendo platform
6: game. So on 3DS, sadly. Yeah, I'm trying to think what I've gotten real excited about recently. I really liked uh, the new. Um torment tides of numenera the, it was hmm. a like the pc rpg that was a follow-up to planescape torment um yeah i thought that was real good
7: yeah my buddies and i play the tabletop so we were waiting oh, nice. for, oh, it, nice. uh, for a long time no it's, it's a great game i didn't buy the console version i got it on pc the, the, those games are better played on pc yeah definitely. Yeah, it's just hard to port those games to console i feel like because there's yep. so much menu and organization and all that type of stuff the ui is so important um and then I, this is kind of along that same question, but what's like one of your favorite games from the past? You guys said you're in your early 40s. I'm in my – I'm like early 30s, late, yeah, I'm late 20s. I'm 29. Um, what's like one of your favorite games that you've – like? I would
6: ever, say S- Star Control 2.
3: Yeah. Star Control 2? Really? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's definitely in my top five for sure. What? It might be my number. It might, Star Control 2 is like one of the best games ever made. Really, I will have to check this out. What it's an old PC game, I take right? Yeah, yeah.
6: yeah. So the first Star Control was just a kind of a sort of a follow on from like the '70s space war like oscilloscope game, uh, where it was just two ships fighting against each other, kind of asteroid style, but different ships with like wildly different abilities. Star Control Two puts that into like this giant galaxy spanning adventure game uh, thing where you're sort of like. You know, in this ancient technology spaceship, sort of controlling the fate of all these different races of aliens, it's really, really good. There right. is a there is a free updated, uh, not a port of it exactly, but kind of a kind of a remake using all of the original assets called the Urquan Masters that yeah. is just free. Um, so it's it's right. very it's still very easy to play this game, and it doesn't cost anything. Um, it's very, very, very good. Yeah, Off and then check I would it out. say I hope- uh, Psychonauts
3: is another game that I I just absolutely love. Are you excited for the really sequel? That's I am. Out yeah. In the future someday. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know when, but I'm I'm definitely uh, I'm on board for sure. You guys are near VR... the Double Fine guys. Do you ever talk to yeah, them that's... and say, "Hey, finish your game"?
6: <laughs> <laughs>
3: we uh, we don't know a ton of the Double Fine folks. Yeah, we know a
6: lot of ex Double Fine people, but not a lot of current Double Fine people. Yeah. The, did the um did that VR thing come out? Yeah, it did. That's, I think yeah. so. Oh. The PSVR one came out. I want to say June oh, or maybe well, even earlier that's... this year. That's why I didn't see it cuz exactly. it's PSVR only. Yeah, Damn, yeah and it's that only exclusivity. one hour too. Yeah. So uh, it's, it's real That's short. you know, that's about right for, for a, a VR, VR game home. honestly. Like because it's I don't know. I I I enjoy like a nice 1 hour long experience in VR. If it gets much past that it's like the get a little barfy.
7: Yeah, I I need to jump on the VR trend at some point. It's just it's a it's something that you need to do where you have a lot of like time to put aside just to do that and i find myself getting distracted easily that's why the switch is very perfect like i gotta run out and do something yeah here. but yeah i i would love to i've heard a lot of great things everybody who owns a vr is a believer but uh me, I'm a heretic out here. I don't believe in it.
6: Uh, <laughs> well, they might, they might all just be trying to justify the purchase price by pretending that it's really great.
7: Yeah, well, hopefully you jumped on the vibe when it dropped uh, $200 Yeah. Recently. Yeah,
6: no, I, I was looking at it, and I thought, Oh, man, I do not want to spend $800 on this. And I decided not to buy it, and then like the next day it went on sale. Like, mm-hmm. oh, okay, they must have heard me. Yeah. So. They're
7: like, uh, Zach doesn't want to buy it. Drop it 200 200 He's yep, in. Yep. <laughs> well, um, thank you guys so much for being on this this show with us. And uh, I wanted—I've heard you guys do some podcasts. If, if you wouldn't mind, just you plug in some of your stuff. That'd be rad. I'd, I'd love to know what other stuff you guys do. Uh,
6: so. Yeah, three of us and uh, and uh, Jim Crawford, I guess now Jim Stormdancer uh, from <laughs> uh, the guy—the guy who made Frog Fractions and Frog Fractions Two—we uh, all do a podcast called Video Games Hot Dog, okay. which is just we talk about video games. It's, you'll never like, believe this. It's, it's four white guys talking about video games. That's impossible. Uh, I've never yep. seen that before. It doesn't happen. So It's, it's an unusual format, but we, we're going to stick with it. And we also have a, a Kingdom of Loathing podcast that has been happening more or less regularly since 2003, yeah. <laughs> 2004, uh, which is just, if you just search for the Kingdom of Loathing podcast, it's not... It's, uh, become,
3: it's becoming a little bit more of a general loathing podcast. People yeah, can ask questions
6: about West of Loathing or Kingdom
3: of Loathing.
7: And you guys, I read you guys have some other podcasts about parenting and stuff, or is that all in the video <laughs> games, hot dog? Those are all. Those uh, were all. The,
6: the, the, there were various things under the uh, hot, uh, hot dog, hot dog uh, umbrella over time, but really, it, video games, hot dog is the only one that's left at this point.
3: Well, no horror, horror show.
6: Hot oh, dogs I guess that's true. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So. A guy that we used to work with and some of his friends do one about horror movies.
7: Yeah. oh there you go <laughs> and uh the final thing i want to take out on is what if you, for any people who are like looking into get into the games industry or like to mm. make a game what's some advice that you could give them just in case because i mean this has been my favorite thing is talking to people you know I, I i do some programming myself and i love video games i just love hearing about like hey this is what i did or this is a cool thing to do Let's try this out you give up to, is what i like hearing the most
6: particip- participate in a game jam You know, that's that's the easiest way. I think now there are so many of them and people are generally like so happy to be there and so friendly uh, that you figure out how you can sort of bring your skills to bear quickly and actually produce something. And then, you know, then you'll you'll be able to point at something that you made or something that you worked on. And that is so huge in trying to get a job is is like, look, I made a game. Okay, well, yeah. you're one of the people who knows what making a game is, right? So now you're a candidate.
3: If a game jam isn't convenient or uh, or sort of a good option for you, then just make something and show yeah. it to people early and often. Like, that's those are the like. It sounds dumb, but there are so many easily accessible tools these days. Like, if you if you can't make something with Twine or um, there's the, like puzzle, puzzle, scripts, puzzle scripts, yeah, there's, uh, there are so many things the, that like are... you can sit down and learn in an hour and make something you know you're not going to necessarily be making like a first person shooter in 3d but that's that's also only like a week away uh with with free tools you know so whatever you want to make there's something out there for you to be able to make it in and just do it even well, if it's want, even if it's scrappy you know
7: i just want to make like a halo style multiplayer online pub <laughs> yeah. in a couple yeah. days you know like maybe an right. hour or two of work a day yeah, maybe do
6: like just learn learn how to mod Arma and release it as an Arma mod. That seems to be the way. Yeah. that... So I mean, it's I think the the point in general though is that there are a lot of people who are good at programming and there are a lot of people who are good at making pixel art and everybody has an idea, but there are not a lot of people who can successfully like go from idea to execution to finished product. Yeah. And is that bad. is that is the thing that is by far the most important thing about actually making games is is being able to do that so what like just do that on a very small scale and then then you'll have done it once yep well it's been a pleasure
7: guys i mean this is really awesome we're a very very small podcast <laughs> so uh i appreciate it It was awesome talking to you guys thank you so no, thanks much for Zach and yeah, thanks Kevin. for having us
3: on no
7: uh what no thank you <laughs> whatever you guys don't don't thank us ever okay Anyways, thanks again, and everybody check out West of Loathing and Kingdom of Loathing, and uh, once you make it for the Switch, I will definitely be talking about it more. Awesome. Thank Excellent. you again, That'd guys. Okay.
3: Watch
7: Bye. out. Well, thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this interview. We'll hopefully to get some more done in the future. Check out our regular episodes at SuperBS on iTunes and wherever fine podcasts are sold. Email us at superbscast at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram or Twitter, and check out West of Loathing. It's an awesome game. Find on Steam right now, and like they mentioned, it should be iOS and Switch, hopefully, in the future.
3: Peace. Oh, yeah. That to us people that can feel things, it it, uh, it hurts.